We'll be looking at uh, the book of Galatians, the second chapter, starting in verse 11 till the end of the chapter. We'll pray for the Spirit's guidance. Our Lord and our God, as we open your book of life, written many years ago for your saints then, it's still applicable to us today, Lord. We get to hear from the pillars of the faith, from St. Paul, his wisdom, his words, given to him from the Holy Spirit, and now passed on to us. So Lord, I just pray that we accept these words and we gain wisdom and truth from this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians 2, starting in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavors to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. You may be seated. Again, the second chapter, many scholars believe it's some of the most important verses in the scriptures. Because of the simple truths found in it, the just will live by faith. But also because of the complications man adds to it. An example of how we can corrupt things, corrupt even the simple gospel message. 
I remember I mentioned in the last two times the formal teaching, which is all truths are found in the scriptures. The material teachings, the physical teachings, how do we apply it? How do we get the gospel? How are we made right with God? These are the issues that are always under attack. It was the issue of the Reformation. And we have to remember that's what Paul is here. It's easier to follow these verses when we understand that this is a letter of rebuke from Paul to the Galatians because he was under attack. They said he was a second-class apostle, not equal with the others, which meant that his gospel message was tainted or not complete. So they justified themselves by giving questions, or they had a license to question what they were taught from Paul. This letter was sent to them and to us and to other churches to set the record straight. This letter was sent to the churches for all times. This man has a way of repeating sin after sin. It's concerning the truth of the gospel message. Up to this point, we were looking at Paul's defense. The other other church leaders gave him the right hand of fellowship, affirming he was an apostle, that his message was the same as theirs. And it was justification by grace. So, there shouldn't be any controversy, right? Done deal. The council decided. Well, as we all know, just because the denomination, the church leaders, and here the church leaders that were apostles decide something, spell out the biblical truths, it does not mean that it will be accepted by all or that man will not stumble again. We have a t- tendency to repeat sins. Many times it's pride. We feel more puffed up. And many times it's uh, we're ignorant. We're ignorantly taught. We're taught incorrectly. But the result is, a lot of times, we'd like to add or detract from the words of truth. Man loves to do that. You should remember the two words, I hope you do, that I asked you to remember last time, the may and the must. The may is that the Scriptures are indifference on many things. We have the option to do things or not. Paul used the example to idols, meat offered to idols. You can refrain or you can eat it. It's meat. And out of love, though, you may refrain if it offends a weaker brother. 
And that's the thing. If you're concerned for those more in an immature faith, a younger faith, you don't want to bruise their faith. You don't want to hinder them. So you may refrain from some of the freedoms you find in Christ out of love. The problem with the must is that at times the weaker brothers play the tyrant. They say everybody must act as we do. However, like I mentioned, the more they play the tyrant, it's like the example I gave with Sister Petrak, the must, things blow up in your face. Because we stray away from the freedoms that are found in Christ. And unfortunately, when you play that must card, the tyrant card, it's kind of like a phoenix. You know that bird, I think it's a bird that gets killed and it keeps coming back. You just can't seem to kill it. You just can't seem to destroy it. It keeps coming up time and time again. We're doing, going through that in our denomination now with the homosexual stuff. Denomination sticks to the biblical laws, says it's wrong, but it keeps rearing its head time and time again. It's a weaker brother using that card, and if they have any success at all with that card, it's like a wild card. Then you can add more, more and more situations, add more things that are restricted, and you want people to be restricted. And then if you get a couple members that want to restrict, they compete with each other, soon more and more restrictions. It has to be addressed. When truth is not protected, more and more false truths will come in. You know, and that's what we see in the verses today. Remember the verse, the weaker brothers were insisting that the Gentile believers must be circumcised in order to be saved. And the church leaders did reject that as a heresy. But what do we read now? When Peter goes down to Antioch. Tells us, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Verse 11. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came down, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So we all still have the circumcision party. And they may get circumcised if they want. I don't know if they're still playing the tyrant card, demanding everybody be circumcised, or if they're, they gave up on that. I'm sure in their hearts they didn't. But now they're saying in order to be saved, 
The Jews can't eat with the Gentiles. The card is out again. We'll try this restriction. And you know, the thing is, for years, many years, that was a biblical principle that the Jews had. They did not associate with the Gentiles. They did not eat with the Gentiles. But when Christ came, they were accepted into the church. The barriers were broken down. They're all on an equal footing. And Peter should have known that. But he gets caught up in this. He's the one who saw the sheets come down from Joppa when he was in Joppa. And the voice saying, God telling them, eat. It's all clean. Not only referring to the meat, but also referring that the Gentiles would be accepted into the kingdom. So Peter was eating, drinking, having fellowship, communion with the Gentiles until these Judaizers came down from Jerusalem. The circumcision party. And then Peter withdrew. Peter pulled away from him. Why? Was he wrong to do this? You know, was he acting on what Paul taught? Paul said that to the Jews he became a Jew, to the Gentiles he became a Gentile. He's given leeway back and forth. You know, Paul circumcised Timothy. He did not circumcise Titus. Was Peter doing the same thing? Trying to help weaker brothers? You know, Paul was fitting in wherever he was legally allowed, going as far as he was legally allowed by God's law, out of love. Love toward the weaker brethren. You know, in Timothy's case, he said, Timothy, we're going and we're going to witness to the Jews, and if you're not circumcised, they're not going to listen to you. Timothy was circumcised for the sake of the love for the weaker brother. Why was Peter doing it? But when they came down, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Peter was doing it as the circumcision party played that phoenix card, the wild card, the musk card. And Peter feared what these circumcision party would think of him. He was fearing man over fearing God. Oh, what are these Jews going to think of me? I'm eating with these Gentiles. So he stops. He stops. He falls into hypocrisy. He knows the truth, but he's living contrary to the truth. And this was truly unfortunate for the early church. Peter, one of the titans, one of the leaders, 
he starts doing this, other people follow. That's why sometimes weaker saints, immature saints, follow the leaders into sin. Ignorantly. So if you take on a leadership role, you better be close to your Bible. Because now, when the pillar of the church starts doing something, others follow. And it tells us, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So this hypocritical living was spreading, and it would divide the church in time if it kept going. Because now the Gentiles are treated as second-class Christians. It was unchecked. Now it's spreading. They say even Paul's faithful traveling companion, Barnabas, got caught up into it. So don't ever think you're so great a Christian that you'll never get caught up in sin. You will. Fortunately, Paul had the backbone and the truth of the Scriptures on his side to stand against even Peter. Where did Paul get that backbone? You see, Paul was an expert at playing the, the Phoenix card. The Musk card. Remember his list that he was, a, when he goes through all he was and everything? Circumcised, I'm a Jew of a Jew. The Pharisees were experts at playing the Musk card. That's why when, by the time Jesus came to earth, Jesus said they were the sons of Satan doing their father's bidding because they added so much to the law of God. And Paul liked that card. That's the card that he got when he could go from Jerusalem to go and kill captured Christians elsewhere. But you see, when we play that Phoenix card, that must card, we love to have other people support us. So we'll try to go out and we'll, we'll try to get support from other believers. You know, when Paul went to the Sanhedrin to get his card that he could go out of town and capture Christians, I'll guarantee you he didn't go to the ones that were questioning what they should do about the Christians. Remember that one Pharisee, I forget which one, said, well, let's just see what happens. If it's of God, we can't stop it. If it's of man, it'll destroy itself. He's not going to go and talk to that guy. He's going to talk to the guys that agree with him that are going to be on his side. Don't we do the same thing? Oh, I'm having trouble at church or with this person. And you're going to go to somebody who's going to agree with you. You know, stand by and I say, well, I'm doing it biblically. I'm getting the counsel. 
says in the multitude of counselors. Are you really? Our hearts are deceitfully wicked. You want to do it biblically, pick out the person in the church that you know probably won't agree with you. That's going to argue with you over the issue. Look at it biblically. That's who you go to if you're seeking truth. But it's our nature to build up our own team. It makes us feel better. So the rest of the Jews were acting hypocritically along with him. But Paul had enough backbone. Paul says, but when I saw them, that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all. You see, this heresy, this hypocrisy was public. So Paul publicly addressed Peter. In reality, he was rebuking all of them. All of them were caught up in this hypocrisy. And he tells them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? What Paul is saying here is, Peter, you have been eating and drinking with these Gentiles. You've been living like a Gentile. And now because these weaker brothers, you want the Gentiles to be circumcised like you? They keep to themselves when they eat. You're fearing man. You know the truth. You're acting as a hypocrite. Your pride concerning what men think of you it has exposed you as a coward. You're fearing men. And Paul goes on with more biblical truths to drive the point home. He says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is using one of the traditional phrases used when talking about Gentiles. The Jews would also refer to them as uh, Gentile sinners. That's if the Jews were being in a good mood. Otherwise, they'd call them uh, dogs or half-breeds. That's how they spoke of the Gentiles. But Paul is saying, when we were Jews, we knew that we had to be justified by faith alone. That's what we were taught, Peter. But now you want the Gentiles to become Jews and say they have to be, have faith plus circumcision. Faith plus not eating with the Jews. What he's saying, Peter, you're not making any sense. Because if we're not saved by keeping the law, how can these Gentiles be saved by keeping the law?
and 16, it says, So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul is just reminding Peter what he was taught from Jesus. We're not saved by the law. The Gentiles will not be saved by the law. No one will be saved by the law. No one. He says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? What he's saying is that, is it changed now? Has Christ changed his message? That we have to go back to the law? You know, we have to go back to chapter 1 and it tells us there, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He's telling Peter and reminding him, you're preaching a different gospel now, or you're living out a different gospel. You're playing the hypocrite. And you're leading others down that same road. You know, they offered Paul the right hand of fellowship, signifying unity. But now you're trying to rebuild the law wall? Where you're saying must instead of may? He says, certainly not. For if I rebuild what was torn down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. They return to the law. They're not relying on the faith of Christ, the works of Christ. They're saying that the sacrificial works of Christ were not enough. That the gospel that they were taught was not enough. They had to return to the law. And we know that our salvation relies on Christ and Christ alone, period. He paid the price. We were crucified with Christ. It was our sins that he bore. He who had no sin became sin for us. It's a simple message. But for man, it's hard to accept at times. Again, it may be ignorance. It may be pride. Where we want to be a little better Christian than the guy next to us. You know, like the, when the tax collector and the Pharisee went down. 
And the Pharisee was throwing down all his must cards. I do this, I do that. And then they compare. That's the one thing you can tell when you're uh, playing the must cards is you compare yourself to every other believer. Well, if everybody was like me, the church would be so much better. I'm nothing like this guy here, this tax collector, Lord. See, he's relying on his actions. And a lot of things that this Pharisee was saying were good things. It was his motive, his heart that was corrupt. Thinking he was so much better than other believers. Paul continues, For though the law, I died to the law, but for through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, he's talking to Peter. He says, we must not nullify the grace of God by adding any merit of our own, any works salvation, Again, it's grace alone by faith alone by the works of Christ alone. We cannot add to it. Surely we do do good works, but our works are out of love because of what God has done for us. It's nothing toward our salvation. He tells us, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness or through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If we have to return to the law and do a, a works-based salvation, why did Christ die? Don't we just stick to the law and just keep adding up our brownie points? Again, a very simple message. But this is what was at the heart of the Reformation. The Roman Catholic Church was works merit for salvation. Luther stood against them. The just shall live by faith. He understood. The love of Christ. And that is at the heart of it. The depths of God's love that he loved us while we are, at, while we are yet sinners. It's hard for our mind to wrap around that. And many times we do, like Peter. We fear what men will think. We play the coward. But in Revelation it says, But as for the cowardly, and the faithless and the detestable as for the murderers and sexual immature, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So we must continually mature as believers because we can live as cowards out of ignorance. Top our teachers... Or we can live 
as cowards by pride, we fear what men will think of us, what other church leaders will think of us. What they say about you. Oh, you don't accept homosexuals? You're unloving. God is love. He loves everybody. What's wrong with you? It can be many other sins. We can be browbeaten to think, well, am I not loving? That's why we must always go to the law of God. And what happens when we get away from that simple gospel truth on how much God loves us, it cripples us. If we fear men, it cripples our actions for God. Or if we fear ourselves that we're never good enough, we have to do this before we can start working for the church. We have to add this work or that work or we can't witness because we're, we're not really close enough to God. Now, I was raised Catholic, and that's what I was taught. You know, in the 16th century, to counter the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church gathered in Trento, Italy. As Luther was teaching justification by faith, the just shall live by faith. And the Reformation was growing, and they wanted to counteract it. So what did they come up with? Concerning justification, this was the Council of Trent, Roman Catholic Church. Faith is the initiator of justification. Faith is the foundation of justification. Faith is the root of justification. Now that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But then you get to chapter 6. That the justification has to be authentic with good works. It's not that you do works because you were justified. If God says you're justified, you have to be justified in yourself. You can't have any sin. If you have one sin, when you die, that isn't repented of, you go to purgatory. If you have many, you go to hell. But that's where they came up with these indulgences, works of merit that you could do beforehand to kind of bank up against the sins that you commit. You ever read the life of Luther? Luther was so troubled by his sins, but he was raised up in the Catholic tradition. He would whip himself. He'd lay out in the cold all night, half naked. He would climb up the steps with many other saints up to these shrines on their bare knees till their knees were worn right down to the bone from blood to get indulgences. 
to build up that kind of bank account against your sins. But he never did get the satisfaction from it because his work's based. He never would. You see, the Reformation addressed the same issues. But when you're taught that from young on, you never feel like you're good enough to do any good works for the church, works that God prepared in advance for us to do after we believe. Because if you sin once, your salvation is gone. And for me, I hit the nun in the back of the head accidentally with a softball in second grade. It may not be declared a mortal sin, but I sure was treated like it was a mortal sin. There wasn't enough indulgence I could do. And that young lady who had the accidents against Sister Petruck, I wonder if that was considered an unforgivable sin. You know, we all can fall into this. We can all fall into this. You know what? Faith alone, it sets us free. That's one word I want you to remember. You know, we, the must and the may now, alone. Faith alone. Nothing added. You know, the Catholic Church, they wanted to say, well, yeah, we're justified by faith. Here it is, right in the Council of Trent. Just don't read the fine print. Because it wasn't justification by faith alone. And that's what it is for all of us. And that frees us up to know that it's by God's grace that we're saved. And he saved us for a reason, a purpose, and a cause. To serve his church. We understand that we all sin and we will continue to sin. We should try to sin less and less as we mature, but it should never stop us from serving Christ because we'd never do anything for Him because we're going to sin our whole life. It frees us from ourselves of feeling that we're inadequate to do anything for God. But remember what Paul says, it's Christ who lives in Him. It's Christ who works through him. It frees us from comparing ourselves to everybody else. Well, if only I was as good as that believer. And for the more mature saints, they don't walk around and say, well, all the believers were like me, the church would be a lot better. You know, we're all to encourage each other in that. I know that. We're to seek wisdom from the older saints. But as soon as we put on that Pharisee Phoenix card and say, well, I'm better than this one, I'm better than that one, that's workspace. You know, do what God called you to do. It says, God will complete the work that he started in you. 
not that you work, you complete the work started in others. You know, we're always going to be stained with sin, filthy rags. And if we stand before God and say, I can't do anything for the church or I can't do this or that because I'm still a sinner, what, when will you? You, know, you won't do a thing. You know, it tells us in Isaiah 64, 6, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Even at our best, our good deeds are like polluted garments because they are, we're polluted with sin. It's Christ working through us. So Luther correctly taught, we are righteous and unrighteous at the same time. The righteousness that gives us justification is a righteousness that came from outside of ourselves. You want to be a strong Christian. Understand the depths of God's love and how He's working in you. That'll make you the strongest believer ever. And let it go of all our petty stuff of thinking how great we are. We're not. He is. Let us pray. Lord and our God, as we serve you, it's Christ working in us that we can do any work for you, Lord. And I just pray, O oh Lord, that we don't take that tyrant card, that phoenix card, and use it to pump up ourselves or to browbeat others. But that we stick with the, the book of the Bible, Lord, and your truths. We love the power in that card. It makes us feel good. But it's a false card. It doesn't even belong in the deck in a Christian's life. Amen.